Will you turn with me, please, to the passage of God's Word that we read together? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and I draw your attention to the uh, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the traditional calendar of a communion, the Thursday is usually uh, considered a day of humiliation and prayer. And uh, it is appropriate, therefore, that we think in terms of that poverty that is spoken of in this verse. This stands at the head of uh, the uh, Beatitudes that you are all familiar with. It is perhaps in one respect the, um, uh, the most important and from this will flow these other um, attributes that are described. Because what we have in the Beatitudes is a description of what a Christian should be like. It is a challenging standard that is set forth before Christians to aspire to. It is a way whereby we can identify um, and test whether we be in the faith. And so these are words that are addressed not to the uh, mixed multitude uh, on that day when Christ spoke them, but they are addressed specifically to those who are God's people. Now, when we consider that we are gathered here in preparation for the Lord's Supper, uh, the Lord's Supper, in many respects, is a foretaste of heaven. It is like sitting at a table where the host is at the end of the table, but his end is in heaven, and we are on the earthly side. He is within the veil. We are still in the world. And if it's a, a, a foretaste of heaven, then it's appropriate to ask ourselves the question, who will get to heaven? You'll notice that uh, this section that we read speaks about the kingdom of heaven. Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. And here in this beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let us ask the question, who will get to heaven? If you were to ask that of perhaps um, uh, the common man, uh, the irreligious man, he might think in terms of the rich or the famous, or even the overzealous religi uh, religious man like the Pharisee, um, or the scribes of Christ's day. And many, uh, even of Christ's disciples, thought in those terms. You remember when the rich young ruler came to ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, uh, Jesus says, uh, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and ye shall have treasure in heaven. And uh, he went away sorrowful. 
Jesus responded by saying to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And there we are reminded that the common notion is that, well, if the rich can't get in, who can? And that was the idea of the disciples. But Jesus says, um, with, God, uh, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And that is why there are rich and poor in the kingdom of God. There are wise and foolish in the kingdom of God. There are um, the uh, great and the lowly in the kingdom of God. Jesus says heaven is a present privilege. Theirs is the kingdom of God who are poor in spirit. We are not to think of getting into the kingdom of God or um, getting into heaven, and I'm using heaven there in the broadest possible sense, we're not to think of that as something that is only future. Because if we are in Christ, we are within the kingdom of heaven. We aren't in glory, but we are within the kingdom of heaven. And it is a present privilege. And that's why um, he says uh, those um, uh, who are poor in spirit... Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not theirs shall be the kingdom of heaven, um, uh, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This ought not to surprise us, because Jesus himself um, uh, uh, so taught us, and the, the apostles also taught us, that our citizenship is in heaven, that we are seated at the right hand of God in Christ as a now present condition if we are poor in spirit. So those who get to heaven, whether we're thinking of heaven as getting into the kingdom of heaven or getting to heaven as that ultimate um, outworking of the kingdom of heaven in the lives of those who believe in Christ, uh, that is reserved solely for those who are poor in spirit. Indeed, the text could just as readily be translated, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that it is not reserved um, uh, simply for the poor. It is not blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're into social justice and listen to the clamor of social justice on the media, you would think that um, uh, unless you are a, a minority group or unless you are impoverished or disenfranchised, um, uh, you cannot get into heaven. You need to be poor. But Jesus doesn't say poor. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's speaking about um, a, a spiritual um, a poverty. The poor here are poor in spirit. And we've got to be careful when we say that those who get to heaven are spiritually poor because not all spiritually poor are poor in spirit. And what I mean by that is this. If you were to describe a Pharisee from the perspective of saving grace, you would say that person's poor in spirit. They have no spirituality. They are graceless. 
But that's not what Jesus is speaking about. He's speaking about poverty of spirit. A spiritual poverty that has an effect upon their relationship with God. You'll note how uh, Christ places this mark first. Almost as though it were foundational uh, to the rest of the Beatitudes. No one is a Christian and no one can get to heaven unless they are poor in spirit. Well, who are the poor in spirit then? Let us um, uh, uh, try and answer that. Who are the poor in spirit? Because they're the blessed ones. And if we want to be blessed, if we want to know that blessing of being in uh, the kingdom of heaven with all the consequences that follow, surely we want to know, well, who are the poor in spirit? When you come to the New Testament scriptures, there are apparently two different words that can be used to describe poverty. There's um, a, a, a one that describes those on the breadline. We understand that. You're barely making ends meet. You're managing, but you're barely managing. Your outgoings um, uh, are almost equal to your incomings. That's one word, and it's not the word that is used here. It's not those on the breadline. It's those below the breadline that Jesus is speaking about. That's what the word means here. It's those who cannot make ends meet. It's not a question of eking it out to make ends meet. They cannot make ends meet. You think of um, uh, those that Jesus had much to do with, uh, beggars and the destitute. They were often below the breadline. You think of um, uh, the beggars, the uh, blind Bartimaeus, begging for his income below the breadline. And it's the latter, those who are below the breadline, that Jesus is referring to. So there is no place in heaven for those who are making ends meet. There's no place for those who are eking out a little bit of righteousness sufficient to get them into glory. There's no place for those who are managing to balance their good and bad works. Because they are not poor in spirit. The poor in spirit can be identified by the biblical examples that we have. You think of that parable Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a publican. The publican, uh, the Pharisee stands up and he tells God what a good guy he is. Oh, he, he's working on eking out righteousness because he's fasting twice in the week and he's giving tithes of all that he possesses. He is seeking to balance things with God. The publican, we're told, stood at the back and he dared not lift up his eyes and he said, be merciful to me, the sinner. Do you see the difference? He comes with nothing. He comes with not a shred of self-righteousness. 
He comes not to bargain with God. He doesn't even attempt to present to God something that would make him more attractive, more worthy in his sight. God be merciful to me. My whole character can be summed up in this, the sinner. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Do you see why this is important as we're coming to the Lord's table? Do you see that this is the kind of poverty we need? Not a, not a poverty of our own making um, or a poverty in which we are trying to come to terms with God and make bargains with God. It's a coming to the Lord, destitute of righteousness. Coming to the Lord without anything to commend ourselves to him. And simply throwing ourselves upon the mercy of God. Be merciful to me, the sinner. You think of um, uh, the widow who comes to the temple and casts in her might. There's what it is. With her might she was on the breadline. When she cast in her might... She put herself below the breadline, but she put herself in the hands of God. That's what the sinner has to do as they come to the table. They have to cast away any idea of worthiness before God and cast themselves upon the mercy of God alone. You remember how... David in Psalm 34 verse 6 describes it. This poor man cried. But take a step back and think, who's speaking it? David, he's a king. He's got untold wealth. But he's spiritually poor. This poor man cried. You think of that wonderful prophecy in Isaiah uh, 61. Christ would come to bind up the brokenhearted, to deliver the poor, those that are needy, spiritually needy, those who are poor in spirit have a true estimate of their own worth before God. That's really the nub of it. You know, it's easy for us if we have been following for a long time and we've sat at many a Lord's table throughout our lives, we become used to it. Perhaps we think of ourselves as, well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. And that's probably true. But our present state is not, not bad. We're no better. We're still needy sinners. And so when we assess ourselves, it's simply a matter of putting our amen to God's description of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none worthy, no, not one. Those who are spiritually poor 
embrace that assessment and apply that assessment to themselves. And that is why they come with the prayer, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. You remember Psalm 51 when David is asking for the forgiveness of God. And he makes a special point of saying, I'm not coming with sacrifices. I'm not coming with burnt offerings. I'm coming with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Because there was no forgiveness in the law for murder. There was no sacrifice of offering that could be made to cover over the adulterous relationship. He came as a man deserving to die. And he casts himself on the mercy of God alone. And that's how we are to come to the table. You see, those who see the bankruptcy of their own selves, have no delusions about self-sufficiency. The true-hearted, poor in spirit, man or woman, knows that there is no way they can make themselves, in themselves, pleasing to God. They've got nothing to offer. They are utterly dependent upon God for everything. And it's a destitution, it's a poverty of spirit that never ceases in this life. It's not like in sanctification, how we grow more and more Christ-like. And we are able to put off the old man and put on the new, enabled by the Spirit. From the beginning to the end of our Christian life, we will always be impoverished before God. And when that day comes and we're glorified, it will not be because of anything we've done in this world. It will be because of the grace and mercy of God in Christ. Raised to be with him. Oh, the transformation will be great. Sin will be forever left behind. But while we are in this tabernacle, we will always be groaning. We will always be saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Well, how do I know if I'm like that? How do I know if I'm poor in spirit? This is an important thing, surely, that we might know these things. How? Well, I'll have that kind of estimate of myself and of my abilities. There are times when even the Christian gets puffed up. There are times when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But in those better moments, in those saner moments as saints, we know that we are undone were it not for the grace of God. And we acknowledge that we are the sinner. 
And we want to ask ourselves, is that our estimate of ourselves? Do we have that kind of poverty of spirit? But also, those who are truly poor in spirit will admire Christ and all he has done. What does a poor in spirit person need? They need righteousness to be acceptable to God. Notice what Jesus said at the end of the passage we read. Unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. They were the top-notch righteous ones in their day. Nobody thought anyone could exceed their righteousness, including the Pharisees themselves. But of course it was an empty righteousness. It was a self-righteousness. You can imagine how the disciples reacted when they heard Jesus say, you've got to exceed that. Because they knew their hearts. You remember Peter when Jesus demonstrated his power over the wind and the waves falls before Jesus. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Dear friends, that's how we will be with regards to Christ. And we will see him. And we will see him as all our righteousness. All our hope is in him. Everything good, everything acceptable to God is to be found in Christ. And it is only as we are found in Christ that we share and enjoy the blessings of that righteousness. It is only in Christ who made himself to be sin for us that we are made the righteousness of God in him. It is only in Christ that our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees because Christ's righteousness is the only righteousness that exceeds all self-righteousness. And so it is. Those who are poor in spirit will rely upon Christ alone. There is a great temptation as we examine ourselves in preparation for the Lord's Supper. We look back over maybe the past year or a couple of years, maybe even shorter time than that, and we, and we do a sort of mental um, a calculation. Well, I've managed to avoid that sin and that sin and that sin. I've done these things. You see what you're doing? You're falling into the trap of legalism. And we need to come to each table if we're spared to see more than this one. Come relying wholly and completely upon Jesus Christ alone. Never mind whether you've been better as a Christian or worse as a Christian before you come. It's coming in Christ that will make you acceptable because it's his righteousness. We'll make no bargains with Jesus. We'll make no promises if we're poor in spirit. Oh Lord, forgive me and I'll do better the next time. We don't come with that kind of bargain. It's Lord, forgive me for Jesus' sake. End of story. 
And so it is we'll admire Christ and all he's done. And then again, if I'm poor in spirit, I'll never be content with my own spiritual state. I'll always have the same assessment of my own spiritual state, but that doesn't mean I'm content with it. I know I'm impoverished, that I'm destitute of righteousness now. And in ten years' time, if I'm spared, I'll still be destitute of righteousness apart from Christ. And I won't be happy about it, neither will you if you're, if you're his. You remember uh, uh, Paul in Romans 7? There he is, and he's reflecting upon this whole matter the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. He's got this warfare going on. He doesn't want to be following the flesh, but he does. He hates it, but he does. And he cries out, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he raises, rises to that glorious heart, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. There dear friends. Is that proper assessment. That discontentment with our spiritual state. We know that there's the warfare. We know that we often don't do what we should. And uh, fail to do what we. Uh, uh, and do what we shouldn't do. We know that. But that's not where our hope lies. Paul doesn't end by saying, I'll manage in the days to come to do the good that I would. He's a wretched man because he's spiritually poor. And the more I discover or you discover of the excellencies of Christ, as the Lord takes you through the Christian life and opens your eyes to see more and more of the loveliness of Christ, of the sufficiency of Christ, of the perfections of Christ, the more you are filled with a sense of the worthiness of Christ, the more you will be filled with a sense of your own unworthiness. That's the poor in spirit man or woman. Another evidence that I'm poor in spirit will be that I'm always begging in prayer. We never get past begging. We never get past begging for pardon and forgiveness, for the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all sin. We still come day by day we confess and we ask for forgiveness. We keep coming back like the man who sinned 70 times 7. And we ask for forgiveness. And it's always the same plea. Forgive me for Jesus' sake. But there's something else. It's that you'll glory in free grace. You'll rejoice 
that the way of salvation is through God's sovereign free grace. You know yourself. You know your own hopelessness. You know your unworthiness and your incapacities. You know that you cannot please God on your own. But God has sent forth his son. And you ask why? It's because he's that kind of God. He's a God of grace. And he called you to Christ. And you will never fail to thank him that he had mercy upon you. Because that's what it always is. The way of salvation is most suited to our need. Because this way of salvation doesn't require anything of us. It doesn't require that we do something or be something or go somewhere. It is that we embrace Christ as he is offered in the gospel. And I'll be content with God's dealings with me in providence. One of the things the poor in spirit is content with is to be where God has placed him or her. David, as I mentioned before, the psalmist, there he is, a king in Jerusalem, and yet he tells us, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in tents of sin. That's spiritual poverty if God takes him to the wilderness to flee from Saul he'll follow if God raises up Absalom to dethrone him he'll submit if God sends forth the plague and the pestilence He'll intercede for his people, but he'll acknowledge his own worthiness of dying. And he does this because he is poor in spirit. Well, are we poor in spirit? Am I poor in spirit? Are you poor in spirit? It's a necessity to be poor in spirit. It's not an optional extra. It's not that some believers are poor in spirit and others are something else, maybe hungering and thirsting after righteousness. All of these beatitudes are appropriate and applicable to every believer in the Lord. You see, without poverty of spirit, we cannot receive the free grace of God. You've heard people say, I'm not going to accept charity. Dear friends, the Christian life is accepting charity. That's what grace is. It's charity. It's God's grace to us. Because without that poverty of spirit, I'll be too full of my own self-reliance. I'll be too full of my own self-righteousness. I'll never value Christ as a redeemer because I won't see that I really need Christ as a redeemer. 
And if that's the case, I'll never get to heaven. But if you can answer yes, don't glory in the fact that you can answer yes. Rejoice. By all means, rejoice that you are poor in spirit. But be grateful and watchful and dependent upon the Savior himself. But what if you can't say, yes, I'm poor in spirit tonight? You can't make yourself poor in spirit. There's nothing you can do to make yourself poor in spirit. A work of grace is needed. And it's God alone who works the grace of giving you a poverty of spirit. Only God can change your view of your own self, show you that you're a sinner deserving of his wrath and curse. What do you do while the people of God are rejoicing that God has enabled them to say, yes, I'm poor in spirit? My dear friends, if you're out of Christ, cry out to him for mercy. Cry out to God to save your soul. Because without the saving work of Christ, you will never be poor in spirit. And it's only those who are poor in spirit who will have the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we bless thee and thank thee for thy mercy. Oh, what a wonder it is that thou hast saved wretched, wretched sinners like ourselves. No matter how respectable we might be before men, thou knowest the darkness and the blackness of our own hearts. Thou knowest that we are as an unclean thing. But we are thankful that in Jesus Christ thou hast made us accepted in the beloved. And we pray that as we prepare for the table, we might cast aside all pretense at worthiness or righteousness of our own and look alone to the Saviour. What a blessing it is that there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And if we have failed, and if we have grown legalistic in our thoughts, we thank thee that thou art able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Draw near to us, have mercy upon any out of Christ. Draw them to thyself. And pardon us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, let us conclude singing from Psalm 19. And we'll sing verses 12 to 14. Psalm 19. And at verse 12. Who can his errors understand? O cleanse thou me within from secret faults. Thy servant keep from all presumptuous sin. And do not suffer them to have dominion over me. 
then righteous and innocent I from much sin shall be. To the end of the psalm. stand for the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.